0: Get ready to buckle up because on the She's Got Drive podcast, we remember that our brilliance is our birthright. Welcome to another episode and it has been a week this week. So you can see I'm in this different spot. We've been away and um, still away and haven't on the one side a really fantastic time having a break and you're probably thinking are you really working on a break?" yes i am because i'm committed to she's got dry podcasts that's why i am and then my daughter is currently shaking her head because i'm literally doing some work that's how committed i am to getting the, getting the, doing the work around the podcast and whilst we're having this fantastic time in this beautiful place the other thing that's going on is the supreme court um majority have completely lost their minds and and there's been two cases this week that has been the 303 creative, which now makes it allows business owners to discriminate against the LGBTQ community, and then there's the affirmative action, making it illegal to to have use affirmative action in terms of the recruitment to colleges and universities. So I don't know about you, but it leaves me angry frustrated annoyed like it's befuddled a word is befuddled a word i don't know it's befuddled a word i don't know my thoughts look at me like i don't know you should look that up um but it leaves me i tell you what it's not gonna leave me though it's not gonna leave me despondent because if it leaves me despondent i think that's when they win i think when we get to a point where we are like nothing is gonna work we we're, we're totally lost we lose power That's the piece where we have lost the game. So whilst we can get angry and annoyed and frustrated, I'm really clear that I need to stay committed, I need to stay focused and I need to stay on point in terms of what I'm creating in my own life, what I create in the lives of my clients, what I create in the lives of my family and what in the community and the commitments that I have. So my invitation to you is to do the same. So even though the crazy, is going to get crazier because if they come for those, they're coming for something else. We just don't know what else. Um, but it's going to get crazier before it gets better. And we have got to make sure that we are staying on our game. And that's why I really feel like I'm so glad I brought the podcast back. I'm so glad that I brought the podcast back because listening to the stories of the women who are on my show, I get inspired by those stories. They leave me with ideas on how I can take action. They have me think about the impact of what I'm doing. And that's why I want to continue to bring She's Got Drive and grow the platform so that you're left inspired. Because the other thing for me is we have to lean into our joy. We have to lean into into our joy because don't let anyone rob you of your joy, man. Do not let anyone rob you of your joy. And these court majority, Supreme Court majority, are all about robbing us of our joy because they're robbing us of our rights and uh, that were hard fought a long time ago and we continue to fight for those. So, but do not let your, jo- your joy get taken from you. And so this week, and I'll continue next week and the week after and the week after that, i will continue to bring to you the stories of black women who have who have really um built america let's be real we've really been been the black women who've really built america and so with that i'm going to introduce you to my guest this week her name is leela kofi and leela is the vice president of multicultural business acceleration at Procter & Gamble, and she shares about her role, how she's doing her role and what's important to her, but she is also sharing about her life, her early life, and and then as she grew up, as she discovered herself as a Black woman in terms of her experience. And there is definitely a connection between her experiences as, you, as a as a child growing up and the work that she's currently doing, as her name, uh, as a business, her title says she's accelerating um multicultural businesses in terms of Procter & Gamble. That's her role. So without further ado, I'm going to go over to the interview with Leela and I'll catch you on the other side. Okay then, bye. So Leela, thank you so much for being willing to be a guest on She's Got Drive.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: I'm curious to learn Like how you got into your, your work and your career. And then we'll, we'll also dive into a little bit of the like your personal background, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. But let's start with you sharing with our listeners, like what you do. And then we're going to explore how you came to do what you do. Uh,
1: yes, I am a vice president at Procter and Gamble in our North American beauty business. And I am responsible for our multicultural hair care brand. So we've got brands like Gold Series, My Black is Beautiful, and um responsible for driving the sales of those and building the business. How I came was kind of a circuitous, circuitous route. I'm not saying that right. A very circular route. Let's just right. say that. I actually came out of the University of Iowa with a finance degree <laughs> and working in the oil industry at the time um, in West Des Moines, Iowa. Wow. and. I transferred with them to my favorite city in the world, Chicago, which was their headquarters at the time. And Amico has now merged with BP years Mm -hmm. and years ago. At the time when I was working in finance with them, it was a time where oil companies were trying to figure out how to brand gasoline, which was essentially a commodity, right? So every oil company was trying to figure out how to make my brand of gasoline better than Shell, right? So how was Amico better than Shell? And to do that, they had brought in organizations from different brand marketing companies around the country to build up their marketing. And I kind of, that's where I got the marketing bug. I looked at what they were doing. I'm like, that looks a lot more fun than what I'm doing. (laughs) And interestingly at Amico, it was as simple as saying, Hey, I want to go try that over there. Can I? And they said, sure, of course, as I was watching them, everybody pretty much had their MBA. So I decided I would also go back to school to get my MBA. I applied to Kellogg. Was accepted, which was great, into their managers program because I wanted to stay working because I was getting on the job training with all of these brand marketers. Right. I wanted to make sure I still had that, but I was getting my MBA, so I went to um, back to, to school. It took me two and a half years to finish and get my marketing degree. And my goal going into that was I was either going to stay at Amico or I wanted to get offers from Kraft. Procter & Gamble and General Mills, which were the big three kind of brand marketing companies at the time. Mm-hmm. So um, I did that, came out with offers from all three of those. And I ended up going to Procter & Gamble. Now, I was not going to Procter & Gamble to start. I was actually going to go to Kraft because my brand manager that I was working with at Amico at the time was going back to Kraft and she was going to take me with her. And I was going to go, until I talked to headhunters who said, you know what, you have the P&G offer, you really need to go to P&G for, um, and I, for a couple of reasons. One is you can go to P&G, and if you decide to leave, you'll pretty much be assured a promotion at any other company you go to. Mm-hmm. But if you do it the other way, you are going to start at the bottom at P&G. So go, try to stick it out, and um, see what happens. And the other reason was, as I was doing my interviewing at these other brand marketing companies, invariably I would run into one if not two people had gotten their starts at Procter & Gamble. And okay. so when I asked the question like, hey, why should I choose to get my start at your company versus going to P&G? Pause, like long pause before they got their answer together, right, of why I should come to their company. And it just felt like it was going to be the better fit. So I did my visit to um, P&G, still a little skeptical because I'm like, why am I flying into Kentucky if my job is in Ohio, mm-hmm. the airport here is in Kentucky, but got here, loves the people, loved the company. And I am still here, you know, 22 years and counting. Labor.
0: Wow.
1: So I was thinking I was going to come for a couple of years. I'd leave, go back to Chicago, meet my husband, start a family <laughs> and ended up doing, being able to do all that in um, Cincinnati, Ohio. So then in working for a great company I've had a really really good career
0: so when you you started off in marketing how did it how did it evolve into these particular brands that you're working in now and and is it like just kind of following your passion around the different yeah. brands that you've represented over the years and been working with like how's has that evolved
1: so I started with Procter & Gamble in Fabric and Home Care on Cascade in pursuit of the ever cleaner dish, like virtually spotless <laughs> dishes back in the day. Um, and I did that for five or six years. Mm-hmm. And then I moved into our FemCare businesses. So I worked across mm-hmm. Always and Tampax, which I will tell you, as brands that are really improving the lives of women, uh, FemCare, just amazing brands to work on. You see a girl who is just gotten her period and she's convinced her life is over and things are never going to be the same Mm -hmm. and show her how to manage that with products and her face just light up again. Love it. Great brands to market. I moved from Femcare into beauty Worked on the Olay, North America Olay skincare business for about five years. Mm-hmm. And then moved into a multicultural capability role as we were trying to get our multicultural hair businesses off the ground. A little bit of passion, a little bit of marketing expertise. And that's kind of taken me where I am today. Um We've got Gold Series. I created the My Black is Beautiful brand. We launched a couple of years ago and I'm working on uh, growing those businesses.
0: Great. I remember being at Essence in 20. 20- 19, and I think My Black is Beautiful was just launching It there, was just launching. Point. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: We had a pop-up right. uh, store that was, yeah, we did um, a bunch of different things at. Yeah,
0: yeah wow, there was good a big, memory. Yeah, yeah, there was a big, because I want to congratulate you know, on the campaign, because it was, <laughs> it was memorable, and I remember, you must have had some ads on the radio, too, but I remember, yeah. what, right, as yep. well, like, people we talk it.
1: All black, all beauty, no apology is kind of what my black right. people
0: is. Right, So you really well, let's just say because I said it, it, it stood out for me in the packaging and the whole thing. So you did <laughs> great thank job. You. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, because it was like my first time at Essence as well. There was a lot. If you ever been to. I know there's some people, lots of people go to Essence. Maybe we've not been to Essence. There's a lot happening. It's
1: a lot happening. And that year we had, we were activating inside the convention center. Mm-hmm. We had that pop-up for My Black is Beautiful. And then Bevel had a barbershop takeover. That heat, we were running ragged, trying to get to everything and make sure everything was running. Yeah, that New Orleans heat at those times. But it yeah, was that's not true. a lot of fun. We were back this year again. I don't know if you went this year.
0: No, we I didn't go this year. To see
1: how everything would be post COVID. Um, but again, we had a great, great time, great experience. Um, consumers were back. It was a, a great place to be. And the last time that I went to Essex back the, before COVID, mm-hmm. my hair was relaxed. It wasn't. I hadn't transitioned at all yet. And this year, down with like my natural hair. I'm like, come on,
0: humidity, whatever. Like the <laughs> hair
1: Rain, whatever my hair can take it. It was, it was great. otherwise <laughs> it I. It was- makes
0: so. Dim- well, you can see what I. I was away. I just got back. You see what I did? i just <laughs> like most people, just put the braids in and <laughs> just keep it moving. Cause, yeah, I wasn't. I was in Barcelona, Sicily, and the UK, and it was so hot. So I was we like, just oh. did a
1: shoot in Atlanta for um for my Black Is Beautiful and Gold series, and we were outside trying to keep our hair the way it needs to be. We're like, ah, it was a challenge. But we did it. It's going to turn out great.
0: Before you got to the specific, like, multicultural hair brands, were you asked to, like, bring multicultural perspectives and the consumer into the other brands that you were working with? Was that ever, like, an explicit ask of that? Or is it only as you've moved into the multicultural beauty aspect that it's become more explicit and that's where your focus is
1: um my focus is kind of both areas because we do need our brands and beauty to be inclusive right Mm -hmm. like we we can't have brands that are not that that consumers are saying are not for me so there's a lot of work that we do too on making sure that all of our brands are inclusive and that really a lot of that work kicked off with the social unrest of the uh, of um, 2020 right, and, you know, with the murder of George Floyd, it really hit in beauty at that time because everybody wanted to, co- to kind of jump into the conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And not everybody can always jump in or should jump into the conversation right. all the time. And it really did take some of our brands to kind of step back and say and, and, and take a pause and say, are we as inclusive in everything that we're doing mm-hmm. as we should be? I um, saw brands kind of struggling with that and I created this model for our brands to use called the four R model, which is called, which the four R's are reach representation, relevance, and resonance. Mm -hmm. And really I developed that as a way for them not to like judge where people are in their inclusivity journey, Mm -hmm. um, but really just as a way to assess and know how to move forward. And the framework, the four R's kind of works for whether it's, uh, black consumers, USH, people with disabilities, LGBTQ+. And it is really just, I'll, I'll just run you kind of through quickly. Can you say the
0: fork and reach? Can you say
1: resonance?
0: Reach, representation,
1: relevance, relevance and resonance. So for example, the reach one is are consumers that you're targeting, whether it's black, USH, whatever, are they hearing your message? Are mm-hmm. you on at sufficient weights where they can, um, where they can see it. And are you getting that reach from, in the case of black consumers, black owned, black operated media, right? Mm -hmm. Are you doing that in the right way? So that's kind of reach, kind of table stakes, as we call it. Yeah. Representation is, can the consumer see yourself, see themselves in your creative? And are you doing it in a very respectful way, right? right? Like, I will tell you back in the day, one of the best commercials that Tide has ever done and it was a black father who was kind of cradling his 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 son kind of putting the baby to sleep mm-hmm. on his chest best ad one of the best ads they've ever done because number 1 black men are rarely shown as being present right. in the family right and taking care of right. their children that is representation at its finest it worked right. amazingly well with black consumers and it's you know uh you, you know all other consumers saw that ad as great as well so that's kind of representation Relevance is, are you talking about a benefit that's relevant to her? So, mm-hmm. for example, on Olay, black women, you and I, like anti-aging, wrinkling, fine lines are really mm-hmm. not our first our mm-hmm. first concern, right? right? Like black don't crack. But but I must say, wear your sunscreen because it will crumble eventually. Well, it does. I mean, it it does. Yeah, I exactly. mean, I we, can only,
0: we get more time, but it will come and fine. It will you.
1: definitely come apart. So please, sunscreen, sunscreen. You know, for us, mm-hmm. it's more about luminosity of skin tone, mm-hmm. evenness of skin tone, right? Mm-hmm. So you want, if you're going to be talking to black women, you want to be talking about benefits and ingredients that are relevant to them. So that's okay. very relevant. And that really takes you understand the consumer that takes, you know, what I spent time with the consumer. I understand her needs, her wants, her desires, what job she's trying to do. So that's a level of commitment you need to make. Right. right. And then resonance is really the Holy grail. That is what are you doing to show up in support of the community? So that women know, men know, the, the people that you're targeting know, but you are in it for the good of them, not just in it to make the dollar, right? right. So that's why, you know, Ben & Jerry's, Sprite, those mm-hmm. companies that have always been in support of those consumers, it doesn't matter what happens in the Black community. They can speak out with pride because they know they've always been there, right? That's right. what My Black is Beautiful can do as well because we have always been there. Its, it's, it's very inception was about support of Black women. So resonance is a choice. It's my desire for all brands to get there, but if you're going to be resonant with your consumer, that's a place you got to stay. You can't be in because it's cool one minute and then out the next. Right. There's a place that you need to consciously say, we are here in support of this community and that is where we're going to stay. And so, yeah, those are the four R's. It really just allows any brand, and, and I talk this all the time outside of P&G as well, especially in the beauty industry mm-hmm. where the benefit relevance is so important for brands, but just a way to assess where you are and then to get you moving on that journey. And it's really not a journey that you're ever done with because climates change, what's going Uh on in the world changes, social change, and it just allows you to kind of keep on top of all that.
0: I love the model. Thank you so much for sharing it because I can see um, its application, obviously beyond the market marketing, like in all aspects of of the work that we all do, right? And I'm like. Wow, it's just, I love the way that you have like, of course you're a marketer, of course you've done it too. So <laughs> but it's not rocket science, it's just, you know, But kind yeah, of the, but the, it's like, important, that, it's, models are important, aren't they? Because it's a way of anchoring the intention and anchoring learning and anchoring the results that we want to cause. So exactly. I, I love the way that you've done the four R's. To what degree is the success of My back is Beautiful and the, and the multicultural beauty down to you being a black woman?
1: I think it is important that you have people on your team that mirror the consumer you're trying to serve. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very difficult if you have nobody on your team or your agency partners or your R&D partners Mm -hmm. who mirror the consumer, especially in beauty, it's very hard to serve them. Now, does that mean that everybody on the team needs to be black? Absolutely not. And honestly, I find, especially in hair care, they're very intuitive brands for us to market as black women and sometimes too intuitive, right? Because we at P&G are not the average consumer. So finding people, Mm. white males or whoever, who really have to understand the hair, Mm -hmm. penetrate like the insights are very good at marketing and very good at at doing this work. It's the same thing as um, having a man work in fem care. Invariably, women believe that men design the products and have loads to say about how those products work, right? And men have to like really—that is way outside of their comfort zone and way right. outside of anything they've known. So they really do spend a lot of time understanding the consumer, and it's the same way. And the reality is, there's never—not never—but there's not enough of us at most companies, many companies, right. to cover all across. And so, and, and it's this is not there is no more general market marketing anymore. Multicom, I, Mark Pritchett always says. If you're not doing multicultural marketing, you're not doing marketing because the future right. is here, right? The future right. is here. Everybody needs to learn how to how to do this type of marketing.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does it feel different for you working on brands that are I mean, we could have you could have been using Olay anyway, but I'm curious about does it feel different like working on a brand like My Black is Beautiful?
1: It does. It's a point oh. of pride and I think there are so many products out there that don't do what they advertise, right? And what I love is working for a company who I will say hands down knows more about black hair than any other company out there. We do more research, better technologies, better formulators who know how to make the products do what the products are supposed to do. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, that is really what it's all about. The ability to work in a company that and on brands that can do that and really change, again, like someone's 4C hair to make sure that it's, you know, she can do whatever style she wants to do with it. Right. She's not held back by that, right? All black, all beauty, no apology. That is really important to me. And it's so funny. My mom who passed away several years ago would probably just laugh out loud to hear me say that because I would be the last person you would probably expect to be in this job. So I told you I was from Iowa. I didn't really give you Mm -hmm. a lot of background on that. Mm -hmm. But I actually grew up on a farm in extreme northwest Iowa. So think about where Iowa, Minnesota, and South Dakota come together. That's where I was raised. You went. The nearest big city was Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That's where you went when you were learning to drive so you could get a bunch of stoplights in a row and really get (laughs) practice with that. The town that was closest to me was probably about under 500 people, and it was um, Ellsworth, Minnesota. But I was adopted, or I am adopted. And um, so my parents are white. They had two of their natural children, my two oldest sisters, Julie and Mari. And then the doctor said my mom it wasn't safe for my mom to get pregnant again. Right. So they decided to adopt. So they first adopted my brother, who is mixed like I am. Then they adopted me. We were both babies, not related, but just babies. They both have mm-hmm. to be mixed. And then they adopted four Native American children off of a Sioux reservation in South Dakota. And they wow. um, were a little bit older when they raised them. So I, we had seven children. We had like there are. um Wait, I have four, eight brothers and three. sisters. Yeah, okay. I have another sister who is younger than me. Okay. And it really was like this United Nations in the middle of you know a farm in Iowa. Mm. And but I will tell you the one thing that my mom didn't know anything about, and bless her soul, she knew a lot about so much was my hair.
0: Right, nothing
1: about my hair. Right, I always my view. And the, there was nobody diverse around, just nobody. Mm-hmm. Like, we were literally, my brother and I, the only two for miles. Yes. And my, so my standard of beauty and what I looked at and what I was trying to do with my hair was all about what my friends did, right? Long, mm-hmm. straight, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I always, you know, as we all did, like, wanted my hair to be long and down and right. stay down. And I went, uh, I found that if I slept with a stocking cap on my head, my hair would stay flat. And I was like, mom, it was in kindergarten. I'm going to wear my hair down to school. I'm going to keep the stocking cap on it all night on the bus. And then I'll take it off at school and it'll be long and it'll stay down. Which was true for all about like three minutes. Then I got where it went right back up again. My teacher took me around to all of the different classrooms to have kids touch my hair. That like has stood with me for life. Like I do not like people. We don't like people touching Mm. our hair in general. But that for me was like. She finally got to a classroom with one of my sisters and They're like, what are you doing? Like, no, this isn't going to happen, right? But so my hair, I just did not know how to take care of my hair. Mm-hmm. Then I got to um, junior high and I decided that I'd heard about relaxers. So my mom's like, okay, we're going to do a relaxer. And I didn't realize that when you did a relaxer, I just thought that you put that on and you got the hair that everybody else had, right? The long, blonde, black, mm-hmm. like flowing hair. And my mom left my, on my hair too long. Burnt my hair off a little bit. And then I proceeded, like all my other friends did, to wash it every day, blow it dry, curl it every day. My hair was in such bad shape. By the time I got, like, I think it was about this long when I went to college. And because I had to cut it off and it had broken off. And I ended up. I pledged AKA in college. They <laughs> said the first thing we're going to do is your hair. And they really, my line sisters took it, uh, took me, uh, it, you know, in and showed me how to take care of my hair. And that was really the first time where I felt like I was proud of my hair, right? Mm. Cause before it had just been this thing that didn't look like anybody else's. I didn't right. know how to take care of it. I knew it wasn't healthy, but didn't really know what to do about it. Right. And, so then I, you know, I kept relaxers in my hair for a while and then my hair stopped it always like I could cut my hair and it would grow again, cut it, it would grow again, and then it stopped growing and it just kept breaking off. So I'm like, all right, it is time to make the transition. So I did that for a couple of years, put just, you know, protective styles in and came out with curls, which was great. I think God knew I needed curls. Yeah. I needed a curl pattern that was easy, that I could detangle easily. So I did and it, you know, so that was relatively late in my life. But it's just so funny to me that I'm in this position now, but it's caused me to have this passion for, I don't want anybody else to have to grow up like that. Like I want solutions out there that are going to work for women's hair right. and daughters. I got two girls. I've got a 16 a year old and a 20 year old, right? Mm-hmm. I want to have them be very proud of their hair and wearing their hair natural. And so, yeah, so I find myself here today in the most unlikely of spots. But it really has had me have a really, really, really great appreciation for the work I do Mm -hmm. and for the people that help with the work that
0: I do. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because it feels unlikely, but likely at the same time, given your passion Uh, and your relationship, you know, what your experience has been. And, of course, I mean, back then, I know we are going to make assumptions about your age, but back then, social media wouldn't have been a present, Right. right? So then you don't have, I think one of the really positive things i think is how younger people now have access to seeing people like them and yeah. my daughter's mixed and so when i sort of look look at the youtubers that she watches a number of them are mixed you know and yep. following tracking people what they do with their hair and um, the naturalistas who are sharing like the products that they're using so that people exactly. can check it out and and which I have to say so I relaxed my hair I was 18 and so I had been relaxed or or texturized maybe not full relaxed for, for the last few years few years before I stopped but I stopped around 10 years ago relaxing I needed to re-educate myself I needed to go on YouTube and then watch all these things and think like well, okay how am I what am I going to do so yes, I love that in a way that that's been your beginning experience. I don't love that you had that experience. I, mean, I love that that, you've like the full circle of it. Exactly. And I'm very glad that
1: social media did not exist back in the day because that <laughs> would not have been cute at all, at all. <laughs> it was
0: like no evidence, please. No exactly. evidence, please. <laughs> exactly. As, uh, yeah. And also the thing about the work that you're doing is so, and then the whole conversation about our hair as we know and the Crown Act and all of that is how much our sense of self is related to our hair yep. and how how others respond and, we, and react to us and our hair, right?
1: It is. And I, I think one of the transitions we've seen Black women make is it's less and less about, one of the great things I think in this, this past couple of years is we have taken up every bit of space in the room, right? And mm-hmm. we are you don't like our hair, not our problem. Like, right. you, don't, you know, you're going to discriminate against me. I will go get a different job and I will mm-hmm. outdo whatever I was doing here, right? We are Black for us now. Just this evolution that has happened in the past few years where, mm-hmm. I mean, we're vice presidents, we're Supreme Court, just, there is nothing we can't do. We are building so much on our backs. Like, we are amazing, right? And we are, as Black women, Creating space at the table for other Black women, which Mm -hmm. is the other thing that I love about Mm -hmm. us, right? And it is just such this cool thing to see is that our hair is such a part of who we are, and we are going to be who we are regardless of what you think or say, right? Right. You don't think I'm cute? I'm cute. So it's just been fun to watch that evolution of us the past couple years.
0: Yeah, yeah. If I think back at at my early years, you know, I would have been concerned about showing up to meeting with braids in my hair or. You know, cause it was, mm-hmm. it was like you, the expectation was you were going to have it, you were going to be, re- it was going to be relaxed. And then what does it mean if you're not, you know, what is it, what, what messages are you sending out? Like you yeah. yeah, so rather than the freedom to choose and be who you want to be is, and at the same time, we want to acknowledge that that is not the experience for everyone. We have discrimination yeah. that exists and there's still lots to fight on that front, but I'm, you know, I'm just so happy for, the work that you're doing and the, your presence in your work. So. And I
1: love looking across my team and just seeing all the different hairstyles. It's just so cool to see, you know, it just, it's fabulous. Very fabulous.
0: I mean, I what, listen, we gotta just kudos to black women and their <laughs> hairstyles. Come <laughs> exactly. on. Which is part of what the, the, I mean, we need to work D&I and stuff like that is. For people who sit outside of that community, they just don't understand how it's possible. I mean, that's why they're like, how does it work? You're, exactly. What is, but you didn't do that. Your hair was like, right. Oily. Wasn't it short yes, And it? I
1: know it wasn't blue. So what, what, ha- yeah, that's great. <laughs> I remember when I came into the office with my first, first protective style, I had these great curls in. Somebody looked at me like, how did you grow your hair like that overnight? I'm like, well, thank you for this looking as real as it does. I got to yeah. tell my style is that. But, yeah, we can be whoever we want based on the day, which is so cool. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's. Well, as, you, as you've as been going through your career, and as, you know, sometimes one of the things you said is that there's not many of you in this space, even with this growth and with the development, and there's more, black women showing up in the beauty industry in leadership and so on but we're still there's still a minority compared to Mm -hmm. right what has been the biggest challenge for you in in being a woman of color leader and and I know that you've been working predominantly in in the, in the last 20 some years in P&G, but like, what has been your biggest challenge?
1: I honestly don't think in my career, at least at Procter and Gamble, that I've had a challenge with being a black woman there. Mm-hmm. I have always felt valued. I've always felt respected. I've always mm-hmm. felt like I've had great career potential there. I have felt like I've always had managers that were always seeking to understand, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that the challenge that we have overall is just how, again, how do we create that space to bring more women in okay. and make sure that there are people that they can see in places that they aspire to be, right? That they can see role models, that they can see that ha- that people have succeeded. And there's a fair number of women at, at, at Proct- uh, Black women at Procter Gamble that are in really crucible roles, like leading mm-hmm. really big brands and leading regions. And I've always liked that as a company. There's work to be done, obviously, but I can't say that I have pointed to that there's been a challenge in my career that has been related
0: to me as a Black woman. Okay. If it hasn't been as a Black woman, what has been the biggest challenge for you?
1: I think for me and these businesses, it's how fast can you get them to grow, right? The market of Black hair is has been exploding over the Mm -hmm. the past couple of years, Mm -hmm. right? So how do we how do we grow as fast as we can? How do we meet with other, not meld with other, like Walker and Company, right? Like that yeah. was a, for for us in the partnership with, with um, Tristan Walker and Walker and Company, that was an area that we looked at to say, we're doing a lot in black care for women. We don't have a lot for black men. And as we looked out and tried to find a company that kind of mirrored, you know, P&G's values and what we were going after as a mm-hmm. consumer, that's where we kind of uh, where Walker and Company kind of came to be. And so I helped with uh, the acquisition of Walker & Co. And I kind of act now in a kind of what we call a brand principal role. So mm-hmm. help with if uh, if uh, the company needs resources or access to R&D or things like that, like mm-hmm. help to kind of things that would kind of really power up Tristan's business though he is, you know, does a does a really, really great job on his own. But it's been the space is so growing so rapidly across everything in our we spend like crazy in beauty and grooming as black people, right? We really uh, we do. spend the sun on our hair. For black men, like, you know, grooming is it is really mm-hmm. paramount because that the first impressions are unfortunately mm-hmm. so for our black men, life or death. Right. And so how do we bring products and product experiences that help them to be their best every day. And so really that's like the growth. How do we grow as fast as we possibly can and really keep up with the market?
0: That was a, like a, he, walking around was an indie brand that you acquired. Mm-hmm. And is there, are there any other brands like that that are similar? There's been some acquisitions or is that, is that part of the strategy to grow is to, is to see these brands. That
1: it, depend, it depends there. on where we see a hole. And you'll see like that's if we feel like we can make progress faster with partnering with somebody, we'll do that as opposed okay. to bringing everything um, in from mm-hmm. the ground up, you know, across all, all of P&G. And that was it. Like I said, with Tristan was an opportunity with the vision that he had to really uh, make personal care and grooming mm-hmm. simple and healthy for black men. We didn't mm-hmm. have that capability in the company to do. Um, and what he's been able to do has been great. So it's been a really good partnership.
0: Nice, nice. I wanted to just, can we spend a little time, like, looking, coming back into your, like, your growing up and some okay. messages you guys So you, you have this mixed family, large family with many different children. Mm-hmm. I mean, kudos to your parents, because that's a lot of kids. And my mom
1: you. taught part-time, like, she was amazing and, and cooked all of our meals, like, I mean, number one, there wasn't really a restaurant around. Because right <laughs> you were in the middle of
0: nowhere.
1: <laughs> <You> <laughs> was McDo- McDonald's was the treat. You would, we would go Christmas shopping in Sioux Falls and we would have McDonald's. But other than that, like it was pretty sparse. But she, you know, we, she cooked everything. Like really just an amazing woman. Amazing, amazing woman.
0: Growing up in a family of so many children and children from various backgrounds and the parents who, who really created this family, you know, in a very, sounds like a really intentional way. Mm-hmm. What were the key messages that you learned growing up that stayed with you?
1: The biggest thing I think that we were taught and learned and I think has helped me with where I am today is work ethic. Like it was a working farm, like mm. hundreds of acres and at the, at its height, pigs, cows, sheep, chicken, horses, soybeans, corn, and We all, like we were at several farms in the area, my um, uncle and aunts and cousins also, like we worked the farm as every farm kid did back in the day, right? Right. It didn't matter whether it was 30 degrees below zero, if it was pitch dark, you went out and did the work, right? It doesn't matter if it's, you know, 3.30 in the morning freezing and the cows get out, you're getting out to go put the cows back in. (laughs) And there was always something to do and we were never idle and it didn't matter what you know, you just work through whatever it was, and I credit that with a lot of the work ethic that I have mm-hmm. today. I think that if I had not grown up in that situation, would not have had it. It's it's very hard to recreate it for my children because our circumstances are just different, though yeah, I try yeah. like. They would tell you I try like crazy. But um, <laughs> you know I, I really do credit it with that. I could not have had a, a better upbringing for dealing with whatever life is throwing your way and kind of working mm-hmm. your way through it. So that has really been the thing that stuck through with me. So work ethic and what would be the other source of your success? Yeah, I'm just I I don't know why I'm driven. Like, I'm just really driven Mm. and I'm incredibly competitive and I like to see results. And I think I'm also I it's really important to me that my daughters see that they can be successful no matter what right? Mm-hmm. Like that, the things that I'm doing are for them to role model that for them to mm-hmm. make the world better for them. And I don't know where that drive came from with like desire to prove things to somebody. But that is really just you combine that with a work ethic. And it's kind of amazing what you can do yeah. in life. Um And I, you know, it also can sometimes be I got to tone that down a little bit, because I got to remember that not everybody was raised the same way that I was. Right. But um those are two things that I think I just you, I don't know how to replace. You can't model that up, I don't think.
0: If you had to do something differently in your career or in your life, what would it be? You know, I so think... the drive, let me just... Because sometimes the drive... Says Shirley, who has... <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, I mean, that's the name of the, our podcast, isn't it? I mean, there is something about, you know, when you've got... So the drive and the focus, like what it gives you. Sometimes it can also... You can get on a road. And you can keep going and sometimes you're
1: like, hmm, was that the road that was supposed to be on? It, it, you know, it's, that is, it's so funny that you say that. And I think it is remembering that, and I think COVID really like also helped with this. Life is a journey and you're on a journey and it doesn't, the time that you get somewhere is, I'm really trying to teach myself that is not about the time that you get there, but about the journey that you're having mm-hmm. along the way. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think COVID just, put so much introspection into everybody, right? Right. That it took, you just had the time to sit around and like, what am I doing? Am I working for the right things? Do I like who I am with? Do I like the life that I've built? Like so much time to think. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it's really about trying to more enjoy the journey. Like, because the the journey will end at some time, right? And you don't want, you you don't want that to be all that you remember. is just the drive to get there. And uh, you know, somebody, uh, there was a, a quote that somebody said to me a while back that it just sticks with me all the time. And, you know, it's, it's, as you look at it, it, it is about the, the quote is comparison is the thief of joy.
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: you think about, it, I'm just like, that is like, so right. true. You You, you right. cannot define your success and look at somebody else's success, right? You don't know anybody's true motivations. You don't know their priorities. You don't know their come from state. You would never know looking at me that I grew up on a farm in Iowa and like you just don't know enough about their journey. And you will suck the joy, the sense of accomplishment out of everything that you do if you're constantly looking at somebody else and saying, but wait, they got there faster or wait, they have that or Mm -hmm. wait, they have that. Mm -hmm. And I'm really teaching myself to just take a deep breath and luxuriate in the life that I've built, you know. In addition yeah. to having a great career, I've got a great husband, I've got two great kids, I've got a great family, and I don't want to get to the other side and say um you know retire or whatever and be like I didn't see or enjoy any of it, right? Like I got it like that time has to be there. And it is really having kids now my daughter in college, time passes so quickly from the time she got in high school to now she is um she's at Virginia Tech, she's a pre-vet major. She's going to be a junior next year. I still don't I don't know how that happened. And I'm so happy I have one more at home because I'm not ready to be an empty nester. I really, <laughs> I, it's a cool moment when you realize that you really, really enjoy spending time with your kids, mm-hmm. that you've raised really good human beings mm-hmm. that you want to be around. I'm going to drop her off at college again on um, on um, Friday and I'm I'm really, really not looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. But it's really it's like just taking that time because you, to your point, the drive, it can't be all about. The drive that you have inside you or you're going to miss a lot along the way really that's that's a constant message to just say take a deep breath relax and and there's a plan in place
0: yeah I think I mean I'm I'm just gonna drop my daughter off at college this year, so she's the eldest and I've got one more at home he's got he's just starting high school this year so I'm with you on that like (laughs) where did the time go I remember (laughs) when they're babies everyone goes oh it's gonna go so fast and you're like don't be so ridiculous you know (laughs) and then you're like She's like actually, it did. It um, particularly once they get to high school, I would, that was just wild. There was like, I turn around and then she's going and They're
1: they're you're graduating, and it's. I always tell, um, you know, young women, especially when COVID, where you're watching them, you're working from home, and the kids are crawling all over them, and they're mm. horrified and stressed. And I'm like, oh, I really, I get that you're horrified and stressed right now, but what I would give for just to have them little like that running around again.
0: It's really, it's really something, and and I think, have you ever come across um Bonnie Ware's work? You know, the five regrets of the dying.
1: No, Where, I have
0: she not. She was uh, she's a she's was Australian, or oh, was it New Zealand? Um, palliative care nurse, and she wrote. I think it was something like in 2012. She wrote um the five regrets of the dying, and it's through her work. Seeing what are the the top things that people share as they're just about to draw their last breath. It was so impactful for me when I, like, read her work because one of, a couple of things. One is, she said that most of the time, no one's talking about that strategy that they wrote or that customer that they, you know, that no one's talking about that. You know, it's usually about the dream that they didn't pursue, the time that they didn't spend, or remembering the thing that they did do with the people that they loved, you know, and wishing they did more of that. And, and at the time it was just like, that book was published, it was just a couple of years after my dad had died, and from, from cancer. And so, and just, I had had a conversation with him about, did he have any regrets? So it was really pertinent because, what did we say tomorrow's not promised, right? And sometimes, but we act like it is. Right. We live yeah. our life like it. We totally live our life like it is. And, and then when, and that's the thing about the pandemic is that it, it, it had us pause and say, actually, Collectively we're okay going for this and like there's no, we don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. Um, and it's really in, it was really in our face much more than it's ever been. Hence by exactly. the, the shift and change, but we have to remember like the drive. So I, my shift was like 2019, I traveled so much for work and 2020, obviously we knew what happened and like this, I'm so happy that we've not gone back to the demand for travel for work in the same way and at the same time i love travel as part of my work and i i'm back doing some of it but not at the pace and really being present and making sure there's us being present and present to being present
1: exactly last week i had my first we were traveling the full week for work. It just happened that there was some meetings in Austin that we were doing. And then I was flying to Atlanta to do a shoot. And so I was gone for the full week. And I'm like, how did I used to do this ever? I'm tired. I right. miss my kids. I feel like everything's happening at home and I'm missing it. And before pre-pandemic, that was just like, yeah, jump on a plane, do this, do that, right. you know. And it was just life. And I was surprised that I was almost just a little bit of bit homesick. It was, you know, one, two or three days I can do. And I'm like, I won't do another week trip, I don't think. I just, I don't it, It just wasn't the same.
0: Yeah, life is altered. Life is altered. My God, the time is going so quickly. Um, I've got a couple of more questions. If can we we give me the, okay, good. So one of the questions that I, um, ask, always ask my guests is like, if they can share with us a courageous moment in their life. And this is like, yeah, a time when you had to make a decision, take an action where fear was present but you took it anyway. What would be the most courageous moment for you?
1: It's going to be a weird one. It's um, my mom passed away from cancer in 2018 Mm -hmm. and choosing to be present for that whole process. Like she was diagnosed with cancer in February and she died in May. And I, I, that's a difficult, it sounds like you have some experience with that as Mm -hmm. well. Like, choosing to be in the room and watching in some ways, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And in some ways it's the hardest thing you will ever see. And her courage and like that for me was just, that was a choice to be there and see that. But um, I feel like that profoundly changed Mm. who I am today. And I, my day, you know, I, I, I think the, the, the choice to be present and the choice to and some people are like why wouldn't you be but that 's a choice to sit in there and watch mm-hmm. all that happen, mm-hmm. I think has just changed changed me mm. forever changed me mm. and then I think the other one would be though like if I go to a less personal one would be i going away to college, I went seven hours away from the other side of the state. University of Iowa was like believe it or not like seven hours away from my from my farm, mm-hmm. and i Told you how I grew up. I didn't know anything about anything like black people at all, at all. Aside from what you see on TV, which back then wasn't a lot really positive, they, and and what you saw wasn't positive, right? Right. And so I remember my parents dropped me off at school. Now I went to the University of Iowa, so it's not like I was in an HBCU, but yeah. still, many more people than I'd ever interacted with. And I, it was very uncomfortable. It was like I had gone into a different world. I just, I didn't, you know speak vernacular like I remember the first time somebody said do you want to go to the crib and I was like I don't think so I have a big girl bed like what do you what, like what yeah. and, you know and the music like just so much of the things that that black people have grown up with like just remembering the 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 music in the I grew up in country music I still love country music mm-hmm. I just just do I, it was hard for me at times to make conversations because there was just this whole level of things that mm-hmm. I just did not know about. And I remember seeing on the dorm across from mine Wee written in um, pink and green letters and I was like what is Wee and why would you put it on a window like that? <laughs> and then I ended up pledging and that was a courageous decision because that for me was just like I was throwing myself into a world that I just knew nothing about and I just loved mm-hmm. the way that they took me in and like, you know, made me very, very comfortable with who I was. And mm-hmm. that just that also changed my life trajectory, right? In terms of the person that I am today would not have happened if I hadn't gone to the University of Iowa and pledged um, the sorority and just really immersing myself in the culture, because it was very, very, very uncomfortable mm-hmm. for me most of the time. And I had to make the conscious decision, I could have just stayed with you know, my, my white friends and, and counterparts and not done anything more with that. But right. there was just this pull to go and learn more and try to, to fit in, I guess, as, is the case would be. Um, but that, that, that took a lot of courage because I was definitely coming, not coming from a place of knowledge at all. Um, but it was fun. I really enjoyed it. And, you know, it's helped me raise two really great girls today.
0: I had discovered more about the sorority since I moved here. I know a lot of. And um, women who are in the AKA, particularly, I don't know why I know more people who are in AKA than in Delta yeah. or all the other Design <laughs> nine. Um, <laughs> so it's like, but what I have seen is just that the sense of connection and sisterhood is what it's like, extraordinary, really. And how this way they just stand up for each other. It, you know, I mean, in, in its broader sense, like. Yep. Is is just like amazing, and like when I see people, like I see people like me, and they look like they really know each other. And like, oh no, we just met, we just. Egg-. I'm like, but it's just I don't understand.
1: <laughs> and I feel like that was that that the, the Greek community, but just the Black community as a whole at the University of Iowa is very very close knit, mm-hmm. and it was a you know it, it it's a big university, but it really did feel like we had a small community within it that was right. really, really great. I I um. I tried to get my daughter to go there, but I couldn't convince her.
0: Where did she go in the end? She went
1: to uh, Virginia
0: Tech. Oh yeah, you just said that. Yeah, your, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe my youngest, probably not, but maybe. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> but yeah. Mm, they might be going. Mm, they might go. Right. Um, if there were three things that you would say to the younger you on that farm, what would it be?
1: You know, I think. One would be the upbringing because it wasn't easy, right? We like, like was going to be how you are raised and how you're up is going to shape so much about mm-hmm. what you are. So I'd say that's the first thing, like appreciate it for what it is. The second one, I would say, um, don't worry so much about what others think about you. Like you just get to this point in your life or like, why, why did that take so much energy? Like, why did I care? Yeah. Like I, I, it, there's no influence on my life right now and so much worry and effort. And mm-hmm. it's just put on people who probably aren't even thinking about you anyway. Right. And so just that become, be me more confident in your heart. It took me a long time to be really confident in the person mm-hmm. that I was. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I w- the second thing that I would say. And then the third one is when we've talked like, enjoy the journey, the journey is going to be to your point. Like, you know, the five regrets of dying, like smell the flowers, take the time, I think watching my daughter, I wanted her to take a, she went to college in the first year of COVID and I wanted her to take a gap year. And well, she probably would have, if it wouldn't have been, if it weren't COVID and she was just kind of stuck in the house. With right. us. Cause I'm like, the other side of what you're doing is just work, right? Your career is on the other side. It doesn't matter. Like if, if you take two years longer to get there than somebody else does, right. At the end of the day, we're just kind of all working here, you know, for the long haul and just really just taking the time and not being, so driven because the driven will get you places but you've got to make sure that you're enjoying when you get or know to enjoy to when you've gotten where you're supposed to go
0: well it's been an absolute joy thank this, you like, i really it's, was, this, it's flu it's listen flu. it was like that's an hour my friend and, we, <laughs> and i feel like we covered a lot of ground
1: like yeah we're everywhere
0: like, <laughs> i really appreciate the conversation so much and like your openness and um yeah I mean I could have we could have kept going but then in, I have to say when you go past an it makes editing very hard
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> and you would probably hear my stomach growl through this in about a couple of seconds
0: hopefully thank you someone so much bon, for being a guest for showing up and for sharing so beautifully too uh,
1: thank you for having me I, it was truly a pleasure
0: if anyone wanted to get in contact with you can they reach out and how would um, they do that
1: of course. So I'm on LinkedIn um, and Leela okay. Coffee. So you can find me there. Definitely reach out. Excellent. 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 Love to talk to people.
0: Awesome. Oh. And that brings us to the end of another episode of She's Got Drive. And what I loved about this episode with Leela is her, as I said earlier, making that connection between her life growing up, her discovery as a black woman. I remember my time when I was at college too, being a critical time in my life where I really examined who I was. And so her being able to find herself in that place through her community, through her sorority is powerful. I really appreciate her sharing herself so personally in this interview and I hope that you got a lot from it so she's got drive if you're loving the show if you're getting a lot from the the show i'm asking you to do a couple of things one please share the show think of one or two women in your lives who you think they're gonna love this show and share the show like get into your phone just share this episode with one or two people in your lives right now and then the other thing i'd love you to do is to like and review the show in order to grow the show we need to get more and more reviews and more and more ratings and that's how the show grows. So if you can like and review the show, that would be incredible as well. She's Got Drive is produced by Cassandra Voltolina. The music is the beautiful song, Back to Me by Satoria Key. You, there is a link in the show notes. You go to the She's Got Drive um, website. There's a link that you can download her song and buy her song for $1. Please buy her song. Buy her song. know don't play for free buy her song so she can get the full um uh, the full amount for it because we know what happens with spotify and the likes of that so play her song but buy it first remember we are building a community of women who are living their best lives so keep driving towards your dreams until next week go well and stay